Good morning. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church once again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. When you get there, hold your finger there and then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Two places I'll have you go to this morning. We will read them consecutively right through. Romans 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. How many are enjoying the change of weather here? Went from real cold to you desert rats, you. I'm right there with you. It's like, wow, we can now break out the shorts again, huh? You guys ready for the shorts? I am. I do not like that cold weather. And that's probably nothing for people back east. And I mean, it was, it was too much for me, but it's good. It's a beautiful day today. Good to have you with us. Uh, we've been working through this teaching series. This is a conclusion of a three-week teaching series, heading into a brand new one next week as we work through the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament book. I'll talk a little bit more later on about that. <clears throat> but uh, in this teaching series, we have told you that we are excited because we are getting ready for uh, the biggest and most strategic move in the history of Desert Breeze. And we're excited about that move. But, but more importantly, the move's important to us, but more importantly is that we want God, his love, to move in you exponentially and then move out of you, be on the move out of your life contagiously as we together make an impact in this city with the dangerously life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want more than anything, regardless of wherever, wherever we might go, whether we're in a school or now we have, we're going to have our own permanent site, which I know it'll, it, it'll increase our ability to even do that much more. Uh, what we want God to work in your life. And so we wrap up this morning. We talked the last two weeks, by the way, about God's love in you, moving in you. And not just this concept of God's love. Everybody kind of knows that God loves them. But do you have it deep in your heart? Where God's love has ravished your heart. And then out of that overflow, then you're going to want to touch the lives of people within your circle of touch. If you, didn't, if you weren't here with us, I would encourage you to go online and listen to those two messages. Now today we kind of finished that up by talking about the DB heart. What is our heart here? What's most important? And as we talk about heart, we're talking about vision. And maybe you're familiar with this. I was raised uh, on this verse. This was a real important verse to us growing up in the church. Maybe you're familiar with it. You could probably complete, as I read part of it, uh, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Okay, how many are familiar with that verse? Okay. It's an interesting verse, and this is what it, it, it means, where there is no vision. The word vision means divine communication. So if you don't have divine communication, you're going to crash and burn, basically. The, the word perish is, uh, some translations actually say cast off restraint. The message says you're going to stumble all over yourself. I like the way the message puts that. And then also the New Living Translation just says they run wild. People without, uh, one translation, another translation, I think NIV says without revelation, Without divine communication, without interaction with God, you're not going to have any sense of direction in your life. Now, that verse applies to every aspect of our life. But when you read the context, what is he talking about? He's actually talking about the Word of God, which we study diligently week in and week out. Because he's saying, if you're not interacting with God regularly from his Word, you're going to cast off restraint. You're going to be clueless about life in every area of your life, your marriage, your finances, your finances. 
your parenting, your job. So we're talking specific about as it relates to God's uh, divine interaction with us as it relates to this church. What is the vision of, the, of this church? What is the DB heart? Vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. God wants to give you vision. He wants to communicate you, c- communicate with you, this divine communication, give you revelation about where he's taking you and what he wants to do in your life. And I'm telling you, it's exciting. It's amazing what he wants to do in your life, through your life, God's love on the move in you and out of your life, making an impact in this city for him. Now, the common way... We talk about vision when it comes to the church as big results. And I've gone to a lot of uh, conferences and have read a lot of books in the last two decades of this church. And, uh, and most of them, and when you get around pastors, oftentimes uh, they talk about a church on every corner. That would be a vision. We want to have a church on every corner. We're going to have a venue in every city here in the metro area. Or they talk about big buildings, big budgets, big crowds. And I'm not... Not against that, but I'm telling you, you can have big budgets, big, uh, big buildings, and big crowds, and not doing something that's even more fundamental to that, and, and, and that's making disciples. You can attract crowds and not be making disciples, okay? And so there's something more fundamental. Results are part of vision, but it is the byproduct of something more fundamental, Our vision at Desert Breeze is to be a particular kind of church, and the results will take care of themselves. By the way, we've had some phenomenal results, but that's not our preoccupation. There's something more fundamental. We've had phenomenal results in the last three baptisms. We've baptized over 140 folks that have made a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's phenomenal. In our Game of Life class, which I have the privilege of teaching over the last year, we've taken about 75 to about 100, close to 100 folks through that Game of Life class, which is a basic discipleship class that helps people to integrate into the church family here at Desert Bruce. So we've seen a lot of things happen. It's been pretty amazing. What an amazing ride in the last 20 years that I've had the privilege to have a front row seat to see what God does best, and that's transformed people's lives. But there's something more fundamental that we really focus on here. And, and, and here's what it is. It's, it's on your notes here. We want to be a particular kind of church that is radically transformed in our thoughts, feelings, and actions... It would be our heart because of a deep, durable delight. So this deeps, there's nothing deeper. There's nothing more durable. Nothing can wipe this delight, this joy out. Where does that come from? In the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he has done for us that ruins us for anything else. That is what is more fundamental. So here, everybody look up here just for a minute. Once you've read through that, here's what we're trying to do. Here's... Here's what I want to do in your life if you hang out with us long enough. And by the way, I know that there's quite a number of unchurched people and non-believers that come under the arms of uh, believers here. I love that. That's awesome. We are so thankful that you are here, that you would give us the time. And we hope that you hanging out with us, that we can somehow benefit you. And, And that more importantly, man, that you can see this God who created you, that loves you, that just is crazy about you. So that's what we want you to experience. And so we're thankful that you come and give us your time and hang out with us. And so thank God for you, that you're here. And and a lot of this church has kind of been shaped in in some ways for that. But, But what you need to understand, what everybody needs to understand is that my job and what we're trying to do here is to turn you from being a hedonist into a Christian hedonist. 
I, I want you to be Christian hedonist. What is a hedonist? You guys know what a hedonist is? Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what a hedonist is. How many would say that being a hedonist is pretty easy to do? Would you guys say that being hedonist, yeah, hedonism, pretty easy to do? Would you say that most people on this planet are probably hedonist? Yeah, to greater or lesser degree. Here's what hedonism is. Hedonism is pleasure is your God. Isn't that really what we, I mean, when you hear people and what they say to their friends, isn't that what we say to our friends or family when they're, when they're going to go and take a trip somewhere? What do we say? We say, have fun, have a good time. What do we say when we put our kids in our uh, classes, our church classes, Sunday school classes? Or when they come out, we typically say, did you have a good time? I'm not sure that that would probably be the best thing to ask. But, but that's how we are. Or, or you hear parents say, I just want my kids to be what? I want my kids to be happy. Sounds like hedonist to me. Now, there's nothing wrong with happiness. It's, the problem is where we're seeking our happiness. So hedonism is pleasure is your God. It doesn't matter, no rhyme or reason. You're just pursuing, seeking anything and everything. And by the way, you can't live unless there's some sort of pursuit of happiness. But happiness cannot be found by direct pursuit, but as a byproduct of something. And this deep, durable delight that we're talking about here comes as a byproduct of a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done that ruins you for anything else. Game over. Oh, my goodness. And so Christian hedonism is, is God is your pleasure. That God is your most satisfying reality. That's the Christian life, my friends. It really is. That you are more satisfied. In fact, you look at Jesus and he is more beautiful and more magnificent and more desirable than anything you have ever experienced in this life. Are you there? Probably not 100%. All of us struggle with that. So, so I want you to begin to see Jesus more clearly. And fundamentally, that's what we're about, is, is that you would be captivated by Jesus. So if people were to ask, what kind of church is Desert Breeze? You could tell them, we are, we're going to talk about it. We are a gospel-centered church. We're a church where people are captivated by the glory and the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done. He came here to rescue us and to give us fullness of life unlike you have ever experienced before. There's no romance or finance or big job, big house, big car. There's nothing that compares to knowing Jesus. Game over. That's it. That's what we're trying to do. We want you to see him and and savor him so that then you can put him on display and show him contagiously in this world. And, uh, and, so, and you need to understand that there is no competition. You don't have to choose between living for the glory of God or for your maximum happiness. They are one and the same pursuit. You'll never find a deeper, more durable delight than that which is found in Jesus. So that's kind of where we're headed. That's a little bit of the foundation. It gets even better as we work through the text here this morning. So you guys ready? It's good stuff. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into our text. I'm going to actually teach you how to study the Bible this morning. I'm going to kind of walk through our text and show you how I often will go at the Scripture and how it applies to our lives this morning. God, we are just we are, uh, stoked to be here this morning. Father God, we know... The people who spend time with you will radiate your beauty and glory in a manner that is always warm and welcoming, never cold and condemning. So, 
God, we have already spent time with you in song and communion, and now we, we spend time with you in the study of your word. May we be more entranced by your goodness and greatness so that no temptation can allure us and no trial can overwhelm us as you transform our thoughts, feelings, and actions because, because you are our most satisfying reality. May your love be on the move in us so that it can be on the move contagiously out of us, impacting our city for you, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. So here's where I'm going with this text. I said, I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible. How many have ever really kind of struggled with the Bible study, kind of not knowing how to study the Bible? Let me give you the basic steps that I kind of work through and that you should work through too. And they're on your notes. This is how we outline it. Observation, what does it say? You always really look at the context as a historical, literary, and, um, and a cultural, historical, cultural, literary context. So we'll take a look at that. And so what does it say? Observation. And then the next one would be explanation or interpretation. What does it mean? We'll look at it, how it applies kind of here to our church family. And then application, how does it apply to me? You should never just run to application. It always starts with observation, interpretation, and application. Otherwise, you can make the scriptures mean whatever you want it to mean. That's why we have a lot of cults and false belief systems in our society today. And they, can, they pretty much spin it. And if you're really careful and you really have a good understanding of, of the art and science of biblical interpretation, you're going to say, whoop, that's wrong. That's not what it's saying. I don't know where they're getting at. So let me walk you through this. This is a great text. We'll begin reading in uh, Romans 15, and then we'll jump to 1 Corinthians uh, 10. So Romans chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please and not to please ourselves. The strong here are those that have been captivated by the beauty of Jesus. The, the, the man, he's, you're ruined for anything else. You want him and you want him alone. And uh, so that would be you're strong in the Lord and you want the world to know the grace that you have in him. The weak would be someone that's maybe uh, a, a non-Christian or it could actually be more in this context. It's actually talking more about people that are just young in the faith. That they're really struggling. They have a real sensitive, hyperactive conscience. And so you, you're not to please yourself. You're looking out for their best interests. You're wanting to stir up within them greater appetite for God. He goes on. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So what would be the good of your neighbor? That he would increase his appetite for God. Because Belief is not just an agreement with facts. It's an appetite for God in your heart that exceeds all other appetites. So the best thing you could do for others is to stir up that appetite for God, that they would want him beyond anything else. Because, uh, and, and, and you might be saying, oh, wait, 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 my friend has a problem with his marriage or his finances. How am I supposed to help out? I, I talked about it last week. The best thing you could still give him is to stir up his appetite for Jesus, because fundamentally, all of our issues are gospel issues. We, and because we're a gospel-centered church, we're going to take everybody back to the gospel because all human problems are ultimately symptoms. All human problems are ultimately symptoms, and our separation from God is the cause. Every one of my issues go back to understanding my identity in Christ and what Christ has provided for me and who I am in Him and my resources in him. 
And that's, that's what's going to help us with our... See, the, the Bible tells us that God has provided a solution far surpassing our problems. You thought your problems were overwhelming, and, and they may seem overwhelming. He has a solution that goes beyond your problems. His good news for you far outweighs the bad news you're experiencing in your life. I'm here this morning to declare that to you in Jesus' name. This is where we're headed with this study. I mean, it's, it's pretty profound. And the more you realize that, there's a freedom in your life. Wait a minute. If God is for me, who can be against me? Why am I sweating all of this stuff? What's going on? Why am I stressed out? You get back to the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has done everything. There's not, enough, there's not anything else that you need to do. It's been done for you. All you have to do is enter in, enter into the throne room of God and interact with Him and know Him and experience Him. You, can't, you don't have to do anything else. It's, it's, you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. When he said on the cross, one of the many statements, it is finished. The work is over. Yeah, but you don't know how screwed up. It doesn't matter how screwed up you are. He took care of all of that. You don't know the problems I'm going through. It doesn't matter. His good news outweighs any bad news that you will ever experience. You're just not living in the reality of that good news that he offers you. And I'm here to tell you, that he has, he has a solution. It's in his son, our Savior, that far, that far surpasses any issues or problems you have. Okay, lost it just for a minute. Okay, we got to get back to the text, don't we? But I'm telling you, see, that's the reality of what we're, we're going. That's why he's saying those who are strong, oh my goodness, do you know how strong you are in him? Do you understand the resources that you have? Of course you're going to help out the weak. Oh, let me help you see Jesus more clearly. When he ravishes your heart, these temptations, you're not going to be allured by that. You're not going to be deceived by that anymore. You want him. And those trials that seem to be overwhelming, nothing compared to his strength. You just need to see how powerful he is. That he's for us and not against us. Okay. Okay. Settle down, Pastor Ray. Get back to the text. Man, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Oh, my goodness. And this is the gospel. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's quoting, and he's quoting Old Testament. This is Old Testament is prophesying, predicting that this is what the Messiah would say. And one one of the commentaries put it this way. I not only bore their insults, so when Jesus came to this earth, that not only was he rejected by us and by his own family, and they spit at him, and they plucked out his beard, and they, they pushed on his head uh, thorns, and pushed down on his brow, and it, he bled into his face, and they ridiculed him, and they mocked him. And then he was flogged, which most would have died under the flogging. And, and then he had 
nails driven into his hands and his feet. And he was pierced in the side and he died for you. For you. To bridge this this gap, this chasm that separated you from, from God. See, that's the gospel. Is that we're doomed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. You're going to perish without Jesus. You will perish without him. Because of our sinfulness. And we turned our back against God, but God could not bear the thought. And he sent his son to die for us. He loves you. Everything that needs to be done has been done. Enter into that by faith. Oh my goodness. That would, that would transform your life, just understanding that. So he was insulted, and then the insults that he was insulted with, he died for those people. In other words, this is really what he's saying here, and this is pretty amazing. One commentator, as I said, it said, I not only bore their insults, but bore the punishment due to them for their vicious and abominable conduct. I died for those that were insulting me, and their very insults directed towards God. I died for those to bridge the gap that was separating them from the Father. So here's the deal. You were an object of God's wrath because you basically rejected God. The Bible says that we are objects of God's wrath. But he has moved you from the position of being an object of God's wrath to now you're a child of God. And it wasn't based on anything you do or your performance. It was based on the performance of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I'm messed up and I sin a lot. And yeah, wait, 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 wait. He covers all of that. Even the sins you're going to commit today and next week. Yeah, but, I mean, if people believe that, wouldn't they just go out and sin as they, you know, do whatever they want to do? Because they'll just come back and ask for forgiveness. Why would you do that? Why would you drink from the cesspool when you've got living water? Why would you, why would you chase that track when he's saying, wait, 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 in my love and wisdom, I have a better way for you to live. In fact, I bled and died so that even when you mess up, I can get you back on track and I can bring healing to your life and I will take care of you. I've covered all the bases for you. Why Why would you ever reject that? Why would you ever even think about going another path? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And so I understand you're being deceived. Don't you understand what he offers you, who he is, what he's experienced for you? He loves you. There's no better life. So I have gone from this position of being an object of God's wrath to his child, his beloved child. Oh, my goodness. He's got all the bases covered for you. Why are you stressed out? Why are you all upset? Just rest in him. Rest. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden. And he says to us, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I mean, those are phenomenal words in the 11th chapter of of Matthew, verses 28 through 30. Just, oh, he invites us to a place of rest. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, okay, we'll get through this. We will. That's Romans 15, 1 through 3. So, I mean, it just makes sense. It just makes sense, man. Your heart is captivated by Jesus. You're going to look out for the best interest of others. You're not going to be self-focused and preoccupied with stuff. That's the best thing that can happen to your marriage and and your finances and and your parenting. Is to quit being so self-absorbed and be more God-absorbed. And then you can, out of that abundance, begin to love them and help them to see Jesus more clearly. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful. 
So what he's saying is we have this unbelievable freedom in Jesus. Um, but not all things are helpful. So, you know, there's things that you can do, but you probably don't want to do them because they're not helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things, not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Now, let's jump to verse 32. But I want us to, if you have your Bibles open, I didn't put this up on the big screen. But verse 31 is a profound verse. I should have put it in there. In verse 31, what does it say? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, okay. So we are, you're here, uh, you're created by God, for God, to give glory to God. And God is most glorified in us. We're most satisfied in him. And that even means when you go out for lunch, what are some of your favorite places you go out to eat after church? Anybody? Anybody go to the Good Egg over here? Good Egg. I, Nancy and I have gone the last couple of weeks to the Good Egg right back here. Um, anybody anybody like, uh, like going to, what, where do you guys go? So when you go to whatever your favorite restaurant is, uh, we'll just, we'll leave it at that. That uh, as you're eating your big old juicy hamburger, you're just giving glory to God. You're going, wow, God, I can't believe that you would give me these taste buds to enjoy this delicious hamburger. And oh, my goodness. Ooh, grilled onions. I'm glad I had grilled onions on that. And mmm, that's good, too. And uh, I also like barbecue sauce. Oh, I'm glad I have that barbecue sauce on there. That tastes really good, too. Ooh, and, you know, whatever it is. But you turn it back. It's a, it's a what is it? That when you're enjoying something in creation, it's, it's a gift from God and a pointer to God. And you're turning into a worship experience. And that's what he's saying. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Realize that it's a gift from God. It's a pointer to God. God loves you. You enjoy those things. You use it. If he's giving you some good gifts, you just use that as an opportunity to be a platform to point to him. And so he says, whether you do. So, so you're captivated by his beauty. You find your deepest satisfaction in him. And, uh, and then he says in verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. I am so overwhelmed with the beauty of Jesus and his glory. My life is overflowing. I'm going to do whatever it takes to help some folks come to know him and see him. This is God's word to us this morning. So now, okay, first of all, observation. What is this? What's the context here? Let me run through this quickly. The context, both Rome, we read from the book of Romans, and then Corinth, First uh, Corinthians. Both Rome and Corinth had temples where people would sacrifice animals to idols. And then the meat was sold every morning in the market. It was really inexpensive meat, so families could buy this inexpensive meat to provide for their families. And it was helpful on the family budget. But here's the dilemma. Strong, mature Christians knew that these false gods were complete fictions, didn't exist, and not real gods. So they had no problem eating, eating the meat that had been offered to idols. But, but the more recent converts had problems with it because it represented their old life. So what Paul is saying here, and let's, let's work through the notes now. Let me give you the first uh, fill in the blank. Paul is making some fascinating points. Here's number one. Theologically, the mature Christians are right that these false gods were really no gods at all. But in practice, they are absolutely wrong. Why are they wrong? Because we who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak. Romans 
15.1. What's the analogy? Here's the analogy. You might enjoy a, a good beer or wine with your dinner. But if you are meeting with a friend that has a problem with alcoholism, you probably should lay off because you love them. Paul is saying that be willing to pay for the more expensive meat out of love for your neighbor. If it's a stumbling block, then get rid of it. Oh, well, if it costs you a few more bucks, God will take care of you in that. That's what he's saying. Or if you've got a friend that's got a porn problem or a friend that's got a shopping problem or whatever, whatever it is. Here's the idea. The point is, what can you do and how can you live your life? And as you interact with them, this should be the question that you should be kind of working through. How can I help them to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus more clearly? Now, of course, if you can't see it, you're both going to be stumbling around in the dark Without vision, divine communication, we're stumbling around in the dark. And so it's really critical that if you are indeed a mature, mature person, meaning, man, I'm seeing it. He is loud and clear. I want him more than anything. In fact, as I sit down with this person, I'm not trying to impress them. I just want to point to Jesus. I want them to see Jesus more than anything because that's what they need. And... uh, Nothing more enjoyable. That's what he's talking about here. Now, what's interesting is you compare the New Testament to the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't have a book of Leviticus. How many have ever started out wanting to read completely through the Bible in January and you went through Genesis, Exodus, and then you pretty much crashed and burned when you hit Leviticus? Show of hands. How many just do that every year? I mean, just you hit Leviticus, ah, forget it, just for... I can't even get through there because it's so, it's a hard book. And you know, typically what I do is I'll skim the chapters. I'm sorry, that's what I do. I don't listen to everything and, and read completely every, everything in there. It's all important. Don't fully understand a lot of it. But I just kind of skim through it to get through some of those things. Because it just goes through all kinds of lists. And the book of Leviticus, basically, what it's doing is it's giving us culturally the, the kind of music, dress, food, and what kind of their, their church services are, are to be about. Now, what's interesting is that uh, there's, no, there's no book of Leviticus in the New Testament. So what it's telling us that in grace, because of the grace of God, because of what Jesus has done, we have enormous cultural freedom. So when it even comes to, we're talking about the church, so when it comes to church, whether you go to an, a formal and informal church, the Bible doesn't say. That's, that's not what's important. There's something more fundamentally important to that. Don't get confused in the form. And I know a lot of people, religious people, will get all messed up with the form rather than the substance. They miss the purpose of the church in the midst of this form. Well, it needs to be this way, and you need to wear this kind of clothes, and you need to respond this way. And that's not, the Bible doesn't give us those things. So there's a lot of freedom. Here's the next point on your notes. It is spiritually immature to live my life, do ministry, or want my home church to be just the way I like it. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, sorry. I just kind of went off there. That, that's, what, that's the song that came to mind. Sorry. I'm kind of shaped by our culture, aren't I? Yeah, just the way I like it. Because that attitude is not Christ-like and consistent with the gospel. Yes, all things are lawful. You have amazing freedom in your life. Why? Because you're not saved by your performance. You're saved by Jesus' performance. That's Why? It's not based on your performance, that you're somehow winning points with God. It's not based on that. You already have all that you need in Jesus Christ. So, so that's why he's saying, hey, all things are lawful. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, but verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to 
the church of God. He's run the full spectrum of, of folks. Man, don't cause an offense to anybody. And the word offense here is not causing to stumble. Uh, it's of a smooth road. So you want a smooth road. And uh, it's speaking metaphorically here. When you look it up in the, in the Greek, it'll give it a little, kind of a metaphor, metaphorically, of not leading others to sin by one's mode of life. In other words, it should be, it should be our heart. If we are indeed more mature, we have this big view of God. We are madly in love with him. We're captivated by his beauty and glory. It should be your utmost desire as a mature believer in Jesus Christ to make your, to make your life and all that you do and ministry, not about you, but about the people you're trying to relate to, and also your, your home church as accessible to as many people as possible uh, without compromising the gospel. Now let's talk about that just for a minute, compromising the gospel. Because we are heading into the compromising of the gospel here in America today by a lot of folks and a lot of churches. You can go to churches right here in the valley that are rather big and they compromise the gospel. They would say, oh, no, no, we believe in the gospel. But the gospel does not carry the weight that it should. Okay? I'm not just, just banging on them for no good reason. It's because, it's because that's how you can attract bigger crowds. Is, man, people don't want to hear about wrath, God's wrath. They want to hear about hell. I don't want to hear about sin. No, we're going to be a happy chipper church. Skippity-doo-dah, skippity-day. We want people, when they come out of here, woo-hoo-hoo, I'm having a wonderful day. But what if they're going to hell? What if they desperately need to hear the truth? See, so, so, okay, so this is what makes it difficult here, is that we're in a society today. By the way, I read an article this last week, and I believe it. Pretty interesting. I did some research on it, and it's interesting that in the uh, uh, the latest book, I guess there was an addendum, an added part on uh, in mending the soul book. I guess the workbook on uh, narcissism and narcissistic families. And this article that I read is that we are raising a generation of narcissists. How many just kind of looking around and kind of see what's going on in our environment would agree with that? Show of hands. Yeah, isn't that amazing? So, so here's what narcissism is. It's all about you. We're here to make you happy. We're here to help you out. Woohoo! And so it becomes all about you. You're self-absorbed. It's all about you. We become, we become it's the epitome of self-absorption. And, uh, and you could certainly attract crowds if you, if you reinforce that in people. And then they show up to Desert Breeze. And I say, wow, um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, by the way, you're a wretch too. Welcome to Desert Breeze. And that's the, that's the gospel. The gospel is, is the wretchedness is meaningless. The, 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 it works like this, and this is how it's... It, it, I was awakened kind of to this reality. And the more, this is why I'm so in love with the gospel today than ever before. Is that the more I've seen my dire condition, the more the magnitude of his provision, the cross, has brought within me unspeakable and glorious joy. So if you don't know your dire condition, that you're, you're doomed, you're going to perish, grace is meaningless to you. 
his rescue of you. I don't need to be rescued. Life's about me anyway. I'm pretty basically a good person. There's, in fact, look up, uh, just type out narcissism and look up and see what the signs uh, of narcissism is. Uh, what's that one encyclopedia that pops up all the time? Yeah, what is it called? Wikipedia. Actually, it had some really good... Re- it was actually a pretty good resource, Wikipedia. And I actually went and go and look at the signs and symptoms of that. It's pretty shocking. I saw myself I saw myself even in those. And I go, oh my goodness. That's me. That's me too. <laughs> oh, but honey, this is you right over here. Okay. <laughs> and now that I look at it, there's more of these that are you than me. That's a little narcissistic too. Isn't it? I mean, isn't that how we are? And, uh, and so it's in that. I mean, here's a... It's you celebrate grace most joyfully when you've mourned your sin most deeply. So can you see? We're not going to compromise the gospel here. That's just the bottom line. We're not going to compromise the gospel, but we're going to be very culturally relevant. We're going to do it every, every way that we can to communicate the truth of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, folks, <laughs> it is freeing. I have never been more free. I have never been more satisfied. Oh, my goodness. And I want the world to hear that. But they've got to see what track they're on. They're on the wrong track. They need to get back over here and look to Jesus and know him and be captivated by his beauty and glory. So let me get back to this. To say, so, if you're, so you're, I'm sure you're tracking with me on this. And we want to reach seekers and build believers. We're going to do that. We're not going to compromise the gospel. We're going to do it culturally relevant. That's how we've always been. We're going to always continue to be that way. We're a gospel-centered church. But if I say I left that church and I'm now coming to this church because I want a church that has this and that, and this is how it is meaningful to me, because down deep I know it's all. If you're saying that, then you don't understand the gospel. Romans 15, 3, what we just read, for Christ did not please himself. See, religion basically says that man's efforts to this finite man is relating to an infinite God through, a word, through works of righteousness. If I can do enough stuff, I know that he will accept me and bless me. That's called paganism. It has nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel is an infinite God that came down to this earth to relate to a finite man by giving his life for us so that we could have fullness of life. Undeserving people. He gives us all the resources of heaven. And so, if you're coming to church and involved in ministry, feeding the poor and obeying the Ten Commandments because it will get you to heaven, you're not doing all of that for God you're doing that for you. There's a major difference. Here's a quick story. We'll move on. The last part goes quicker. This is a story from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, 
You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give, I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all of this, and he said, My, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Next point on your notes. The gospel is that I am saved not by what I do, but by what Christ has done. I have all things in him. Therefore, I do good for God's sake and my neighbor's. That's right. We could summarize it in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own because you've been bought with a price. You live for God and for everyone else. Okay, so that's spent plenty of time on observation. What does it say? Now, very quickly, explanation. What does it mean here at Desert Breeze? Throughout the years, people have uh, come to me and said, for me, I wish you had at Desert Breeze more teaching. And I'm like, yeah, tell me more, please. Make me feel better. You want to hear me more. No, that's not what I said. But uh, they don't typically go like that. But, or, or I've had people say less teaching. More teaching, less teaching. I've had people say more songs. Or, I wish this church had more songs or less songs. Or I wish this church was more contemporary or less contemporary. Or I wish this church was more intense, less intense. I've had people say, and actually people have left because of this, I wish you wouldn't wear shorts, Pastor Ray. And then people have come and said, man, I can't believe the pastor wears shorts. This is the coolest church ever. So it's kind of interesting, the the difference. It's not the shorts or any of that stuff. That's not what matters. We're not building Desert Breeze the way we like it. This might sound crazy. See, if if I was going to build Desert Breeze the way that I liked it, this church would be more liturgical. And, um, okay, see, you guys aren't voting that way. Okay. And my wife, for her, she doesn't like that because she grew up in that kind of an environment. She's going, liturgical? Forget that stuff. A number of years ago, we studied the, uh, uh, the Apostles' Creed. How many are familiar with the Apostles' Creed? How many ha- used to have to say and quote the Apostles' Creed every weekend? My wife was raised in a church like that, and I was teaching the Apostles' Creed. I'm going, this is profound. She's like, yeah, whatever. That was her attitude. It's like, we used to recite it every week. I know it by heart. Here, you want to hear it? What? You know that? And I'm like, oh, those are, those are powerful words. She's like, yeah, whatever. And then she wasn't like minimizing that, but it was like, I come from this kind of more free-for-all background. You never knew what was going to happen from week to week. 
Kind of a charismatic Pentecostal. It's like scary sometimes. But there was no sense of structure sometimes too. You're just like, whoa, hang on for the ride. And so that's probably kind of more of the, but guess what? You know, uh, liturgy, no liturgy, it ain't about us. Here's something that my mom said a number of years ago that was very profound and it really kind of helped to shape my thinking. My mom and dad attend Desert Breeze and they've attended since the very early years. This weekend, they're, they're heading to that big rock show that they have out in the middle of the desert. What is it called? Quartzsite with a bunch of friends. But, but they've been with us for years. But when they first started attending Desert Breeze, I was kind of curious about the music, if they liked the music or not. Because I was raised on country and country. And my dad said there's only two types of music, country and western. Okay, got it, dad. Uh, and that's all we ever listened to growing up. And my mom, she was more gospel. You know, all the quartets, the Blackwood Brothers, and I can't even name all of them now, but we, used to, we grew up on all that, so I was kind of curious about what my mom thought about our music. And this is what she said. Very profound. She says, I'm not fond of the music, but I love the people who are fond of the music. And if this music reaches people in this community, I love it. Because it's about Jesus and it's about reaching people. And this is what she taught me. And not only that, she went on and she said, listen, I'm just looking for an opportunity to worship God. It doesn't matter what kind of music. It doesn't matter how good or how bad the people are up there doing the music. If I can connect with God and love God and let him love on me, that's all that matters. That's pretty significant. That's the kind of shaping that went on in my life early on in my life from my mom, who was just madly in love with Jesus. And it didn't matter. All of, the, all of the form didn't matter. It was more about the substance of really encountering him. So here's, we are not a church just for ourselves, but a church for our family and friends who don't know the Lord yet. One of the primary reasons why we started this church was for my family and friends. And I've got a lot of family. You probably don't know this. I have a lot of family that attends this church. And they're all mic'd and have cameras don't you dare say anything bad about me. No, I'm just joking, obviously. Most of you, it doesn't matter whether you know them. I've got cousins and uncles and aunts, and, and they've come. My dad really didn't want to have much to do with God and, and, until actually he started coming to Desert Breeze. God set my dad free from alcoholism right here at this church. And he's come to faith in Jesus through Desert Breeze along with many cousins and aunts and uncles and then friends that have come in here that have encountered Jesus. And so, that's what I love about Desert Breeze. We are not a church just for ourselves, but a church for family and friends who don't know the Lord yet. We need to be a kind of place where we remember what it is like not to believe. So we start where people are, not where we want them to be. So don't be shocked when people come in with all kinds of different lifestyles. Oh, you What? Well, you were there. Why are you so shocked, you little self-righteous person? You were saved by God's grace. It's a gift. Why are you so shocked? Get over yourself. And that's, and so the attitude should be, huh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You think that's bad? You should hear my life story. If there's hope for me, man, you're in. See, that should be more of the attitude because you understand grace. You have no idea how jacked up I am. And if he's redeeming my life, oh my goodness, come on. You're part of the team. Just show up. See, that's, that's the attitude. Here's the next one. We are not a church just for ourselves, but for the whole city and its needs, particularly our neighbors and especially the poor. 
We are not here just to be happy, but to make this neighborhood a great place to live for everybody. We've been, uh, where our offices are is where we've been really reaching out tons in that area. So the first reason we should help the poor, because it's right and biblical, because God has touched our lives, because we're poor spiritually and he's ministered to us. The second reason we should help the poor is because it's right and biblical. The third reason we should help the poor because it's right and biblical. The fourth reason is because it's practical. People won't listen to us until they see us loving them in practical ways. That's why we do the Phoenix Rescue Mission, Paint-a-thon, back-to-school drive, Thanksgiving boxes, Angel Tree, Crisis Pregnancy Center. And oh, by the way, I went to a to one of our small groups over the holidays for their christmas party and they did one of these elephant uh, elephant thing changes i laughed so hard i walked away my jaws hurt for a week from laughing anybody ever do that before you, your jaws i was, it was but that wasn't the highlight here was the highlight of this getting together with this group there was a family in that group that had some co-workers that had major crisis in their life, lost everything. And so they came in, shared the need with this small group. They set up a little uh, jar and said, if anybody wants to donate, you know, you can, no pressure. That jar filled up. I think they came up with, I don't know, two, three, four hundred dollars Just within this small group, they took that money to this family. They were so overwhelmed. They go, well, we've got to figure out what kind of, where are you? We don't even, you guys don't even know us. And you're... And you, what? We're going to, and they came to church the next weekend and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ as a result of that. And that's just one of many stories. That's not an isolated story. There's many stories like that that are happening right here at Desert Breeze as people reach out to one another. Here's the next thing. We are not a church just for ourselves, but to be a catalyst of a movement in the city spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not turf conscious. We don't want heresy or wimpy Christianity to flourish, but, but with that said, we are not territorial. And the list is way too long for me to go through the number of couples and people that we have sent out, not only to plant churches from here, but to help out existing churches here in the valley. There was a couple just here recently. Um, I probably shouldn't get into the story, but I'll just take a minute. There was a couple here recently that, that had been driving for 15 years to Desert Breeze that lived. I don't think they always lived in Surprise, but they were living in Surprise. And they began to get involved in young life out there. And they were beginning to see these kids come to faith in Jesus and then our families coming to faith. And they, they said it just isn't practical for us to try to tell them to drive all the way to Desert Breeze. We're willing to do it an hour drive but we're wanting to find something closer and I applauded them I said yes find a church right there in that area where you can take them to that church and become fully devoted followers of Christ and be a disciple and they they wrote us the most wonderful letter of the impact that Desert Breeze had had on their life over the last uh, 15 years and so we I don't know how many times we've done that I just sat down with a couple this last week that we we prayed for as God is ministering through them to their church it's right here in this area So that's not uncommon for us to do. We are for the gospel and what God is doing in in the churches in this community. Here's the next thing is that, um, number four, we are not a church just for ourselves but to make a covenant. So this really has to do with you and then we'll knock out the last part. To make a covenant as opposed to consumer. We don't want to be consumers. We're not going to foster the consumer mindset that's evident in many, many Christians' hearts and lives. To make a covenant with a local church family to receive and give gospel ministry. We want you to come here and receive gospel ministry. We want you to, so that you can give gospel ministry. Um, consumer is what we have with our grocer. When the quality is low and the costs are high, we're going to go find another grocer. And you should. 
But we typically do that in, in all of life. In marriages, we do it in churches. But imagine this, if everybody rolled up their sleeves, were captivated by the beauty and the glory of Jesus, and then begin to get involved in ministry, the quality of this church would just go through the ceiling, and it would minister to everybody. So you're coming to Desert Breeze, and you're not only receiving gospel ministry, you are becoming more and more stoked over the beauty and the glory of Jesus. But then you're giving that out, and you're learning how to counsel, and you're learning how to disciple, and you're opening your home for small groups. You're getting involved with our kids And you're helping out with our youth. And man, you're not just coming here and receiving, but you're giving. That's what we're talking about. That's covenant ministry. You're becoming a, not the Dead Sea, dead, but you're more like the Sea of Galilee where you're receiving. You have an inlet, but there's an outlet that's flowing from your life as you minister to folks. So what does that look like? Here's the application. It's the 5G process here at Desert Breeze. If you've never gone to Game of Life, I would invite you to take it. It kicks off this Tuesday. I teach it. I take you into more of what this is all about. But God, God's love is on the move in you when you are a genuine and growing. And God's love is on the move out of you when you are giving and going. There, those are the first four. And the last one's glorifying. Let me walk you through them. Genuine. So application, how does it apply to my life? What can I do? What is my next step? Genuine Christian, commitment to Christ and to a local church family. And you're answering the question, what will be the center of my life? Will Christ be the center of my life? And you make that public through water baptism when we do our water baptism uh, times. Here's the next one. If you're genuine, you're going to be growing. You're going to be looking for ways to build up your faith in Jesus, commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. This answers the question, what will be the character of my life? What will be the character of my life? If you're genuine and growing, then you're going to be giving. One of the reasons why we don't pass the plate here. We want you to be genuine and growing before you're giving. We want your giving to be done for the right reason, for God and for the people around you. So we're willing to take the hit of maybe reduced resources if it means that that gets a hold of your heart and you begin to give for the right reason. So giving is a commitment to using my shape, spiritual gift, heart abilities, personality, uh, life experiences to build up the church family. So here's the question. So the first one, what's the center of my life? The second one, what is the character of my life? What will be the character of my life? What will be the contribution of my life? These are all progressive and interrelated. The second, the, th- the fourth G, so genuine growing, giving, going, commitment to sharing my faith and spreading the gospel to the world. We want you to invite your family and friends to Desert Breeze. And by the way, when we get over there at, uh, off of I-17, if you want to read a little bit of more of the kind of the environment, I go into more detail. It's on your growing notes. I give you some of the vision. They're in vision statement format. And that first vision statement, it's this. Let me just read it to you just so you kind of know what we're going to be building out over there. And I'll talk with you more about it. It is a dream of a place that looks less like a national shrine and more like a sports bar. Is that a misprint? No. Okay. Less like an untouchable cathedral and more like a Barnes and Noble or a Starbucks, a real non-threatening environment where people feel comfortable inviting their friends and meeting new ones, a place where people look forward to coming to week after week. There's a number of dream statements that are on your growing notes. You can read this next week as you work through them because they identify each of these. So genuine growing, giving, going, and then glorifying God, commitment to these four G's all for the glory of God. What will be the chief end of my life? That's the question. What will be the chief end? When it's all said and done, what is it about? It's about his glory. It's about his glory. Let me read this. This is from a hymn, Charles Wesley. And this is what should drive our lives, motivate our lives. Listen to this, these words, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're, I will give you a blessing as we head out of here this morning. Thank you for listening. And uh, 
Listen to what Charles Wesley said. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, talking about his pre-Christ, you know, his pre-Christ days. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye, speaking of God, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. Beautiful words. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What should motivate this 5G process? Right here. You've encountered Jesus. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, oh my goodness. We are overwhelmed by by what you've done for us. And I, I, we too often don't live in the reality of that. Lord, help us to, to experience the good news. All has been done for us to have access to you and to know you and to experience you, to have all the resources of heaven. If God, if you are for us, who can be against us? So God, make that more real to us. And God, help us to be a church where we are receiving gospel ministry so that we can go out and then give gospel ministry in your name for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for the blessing? And so uh, this is the end of this series, kicking off a new series. We're actually going to study through the book of Nehemiah. You can start reading. And uh, maybe, you know, some of this stuff doesn't make any sense to you. Maybe when I talk about having a heart smitten by Jesus, he just like bounces off of you like a bullet on on rock. I understand. I understand. We're going to deal with that this next week. Oftentimes it's due to brokenness. You have brokenness in your life. And so this next series, as we work through Nehemiah, will help you with your brokenness. It will give you the tools so that his amazing love can go deeper within your life so that you can receive more of that gospel ministry and then you can begin to give that gospel ministry. We'll kick that off next week. So may we here at Desert Breeze be the kind of people who are being radically transformed in our thoughts, in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our behavior, because we are, we are smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done that ruins us for anything. And then out of that, may, may we walk with God, live his word, contribute to his work, and make an impact in this world, all for his glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you.